Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, RenewalChicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. I'm excited for this morning. I'm not preaching, but I'm bringing my brother up here. It's a brother from another mother, as they like to say. Um, I've known this guy since we probably were 11 years old, I think. Uh, He's my right-hand man, one of my best friends. Uh, We got saved. We came to know Jesus, uh, what, six months apart. Went to the same seminary together. Moved to Chicago together. And here's the sweet part of the story. Renewal's dream, Renewal's vision, this church coming to be what it is, did not really happen without this man and hearing my vision and and hearing about what God's doing in my heart. And then we're sitting on the porch one day and he's like, man, you should call it Renewal. So the reason we're called Renewal is because this brother was sitting there with me contemplating ideas and visions about what God could do in Chicago. We moved up here together. He helped start it. He's a pastor now at Park Community Church. Why don't you guys put your hands together as I welcome my brother, Steve Cobo, up here to preach. Good morning, Renewal. How are we doing this morning? Good to see you. As Pastor D said, I am Steve. If you would, do me a favor uh, and open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Uh, if you grab the Bible outside, I believe it's page 526, page 526. If you're newer to the scriptures, just flip to the middle of uh, your Bible. If you see Malachi, turn over one more and you'll be in Matthew 5, 6 and we'll be in the right place. Uh, as you're turning there, uh, allow me to rush to express my gratitude uh, to those who are responsible in me being here. Uh, as Derek said, we've been friends since we were 11 and 12 years old. And uh, if you know him personally, I think that his spiritual gift is persistence. Uh, if, if the list of spiritual gifts is not exhaustive, uh, then persistence, like Derek is like a five-star athlete at persistence. Uh, and the beauty of it is, is that God has used that so much uh, in his life for the betterment of other people. And so uh, my life has uh, been redirected really in response to his persistence. Uh, when he came to faith in Jesus Christ, he said, Steve, you got to come uh, hear about Jesus and how he changed my life. You have to come to this conference called the Impact Conference. You have to meet my friend CJ and, and you have to stay at his house and Uh, And so in the transpiration of all of those different events, I came to faith in Jesus Christ. And then he moved to Memphis, Tennessee. And he said, Steve, you've got to come down to Memphis. Uh, You're missing out on all of what God is doing down here in Memphis. Uh, And sure enough, he uh, got me down to Memphis. uh, And the trajectory of my life has been significantly blessed because of God's spirit uh, in uh, Derek Puckett and the spirit of persistence. And so we thank and bless God uh, for him. Allow me also to uh, express my gratitude to Mama Flagel, who was here, uh, and to Derek's beautiful wife, Kaylee, who we go back to, we were 18, 17, 18 years old. Uh, and so uh, it is a joy and a delight to be with you. And I want to say, before we uh, get going this morning, that what you all have is special. I preach and pastor uh, and 
do a good bit of traveling around the country to uh, preach and pastor different places. And I know the church landscape of the city of Chicago, even though it is as diverse and multi-ethnic uh, as it is, one of the most diverse cities in the world, uh, a number of our churches are not. The majority of our churches are not. Uh, and so if Jesus' prayer, uh, as I believe uh, Tony preached on last week, God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, uh, this is a little piece of actual, actualizing uh, that prayer. God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, and so I want you to understand that this is special. This is rare. Don't take it for granted. Amen? Now, Liz, the executive assistant, told me, Steve, you have 30 minutes to preach, and I'm biracial. So my black side was like, what I'm going to do with 30 minutes? I can't do nothing with 30 minutes, right? And my white side was like, cool, and the gang, that leaves more time for us to get to brunch. I'm just playing. I don't know if that was really my white side that said, cool, and the gang. Uh, but anywho, I've got 30 minutes to shake, rattle, and roll. So if you've got Matthew chapter 6, would you please do me a favor and shout that I've got it. Verse 16 reads this way. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The very words of Scripture. Amen. We all know the name Michael Jackson. In recent months, he has become a more and more polarizing figure. And whatever you think uh, about Michael Jackson, the moral of the story of his life is that he uh, was probably the greatest entertainer, the greatest performer of all time. And he grew up just a little while from here in Gary, Indiana, where, Ger where Derek grew up. And a common sight as he was uh, growing up with his brothers there in Gary, Indiana, is his father would get off from work. He would push all of the furniture in the living room to the outskirts of the living room, uh, and he would make his sons perform. Uh, and as they were performing, he would pull out his belt uh, and he would keep it on him just in case one of the Jackson 5 missed a step so that he could whip them and ensure that they did the right steps. Now, on one hand, what did this produce? On one hand, it produced probably the greatest entertainer, the greatest performer of, of all time. And the interesting thing is as Michael Jackson became the greatest performer, the greatest uh, entertainer of all time, he, he, he would recollect that picture of uh, his father standing there, belt in hand, ensuring that he did the right steps. And so part of it, sure, was his natural ability, but part of it was his father standing there, belt in hand, ensuring that he did the right steps. And it's interesting because in 2003, when Martin Bashir uh, did an interview with Michael Jackson, uh, they were asking him questions. And after a while, Martin Bashir says, uh, Michael, I've got to stop you. I, I, I've got to understand one thing about your relationship with your dad. Whenever you talk about your dad, well, you never call him dad. Uh, you never call him father. All you ever call him is Joseph. Michael, why is that? And he says in response to Martin Bashir's question, it's because I always longed for dad. 
I always longed for a father, but all I ever got was Joseph. The interesting thing of Michael Jackson's story and sort of the culmination of his life is that he became a great performer, but his father never had his heart. And it's an interesting illustration for that of religion and religiosity and spiritual disciplines, that religion can get you to perform. Uh, religion can get you to do the right steps. Religion can get you to pray. Religion can get you to fast. Religion can get you to give. But religion can never get your heart. And as we get ready to come to our text this morning, Jesus is speaking to a group of people, probably the longest uh, words of Jesus recorded in one message in the entirety of Scripture, and he wants them to understand one thing. There are certain things that you can do for the sake of the recognition from others that is a religious ritual, and yet it doesn't necessarily mean that it's connected to your heart. In other words, what God's desire is for us is that when it comes to the things that we do for God, that they need to come from a place that's connected to the Father's heart and not just to our hands. And so this morning, I want to preach from the subject, who are you doing it for? Who are you doing it for? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your kindness towards us. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together, to sing to you, to worship you. God, even for the opportunity to give back in response to your generosity towards us. Now I pray with the aid, assistance, and anointing of the Holy Spirit that you would help me preach clearly in a way that people's lives might be changed through the Spirit of God on the inside. We pray to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. So over the past several weeks and months, you all have been talking about Christian ethics. You've been talking about what it means to live as a follower of Jesus, and you've been answering the question, what does it look like to live out the practice of Christianity? In Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6, uh, these are things that Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount that are incredibly difficult to do. I mean, he says stuff like, uh, if you're angry towards someone, I, I, I know that the Bible says uh, thou shalt not murder, but if you're angry towards someone, then you're guilty of judgment too. Uh, it says if you lust after a person, I know the Bible says that uh, don't commit adultery, but if you lust after a person, you've committed adultery with them in your heart. And if we're honest with ourselves, uh, oftentimes when it comes to Jesus' words in Matthew 5 and 6, we say, man, that's show enough difficult. Like, I don't even know if I can keep up with all of what's going on in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6, even if we think that they are good things. And one of the things that I think that you have to keep in mind is this one sort of interpretive verse that helps you understand the entirety of Matthew chapter 5 and 6, and it's in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, and the words will come up on the screen for us. Matthew 5 and verse 20, Jesus says this. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Uh, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that sounds incredibly harsh because all of his listeners must have been thinking to themselves like, shoot, the Pharisees, they like have large portions of the Bible memorized. How in the world am I ever going to have my righteousness exceed that of these religious leaders? And you're right. What Jesus wants people to understand is that it takes way more righteousness than the Pharisees and the Sadducees in order to enter into the kingdom uh, of heaven. And on the other side of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the Apostle Paul actually clarifies what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In Romans 3, 21 through 22, uh, the words will come up on the screen. Hang in there with me, I promise I'm going to roll up on your neighborhood here in just a second. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Paul would say in Philippians 3 and 5, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. In other words, I've been incredibly righteous. I have done the, the right steps. I have performed the right rituals. I have done all the right things. There's nobody that can say they are more holy than I am. But then he goes on to say in Philippians 3, 7 through 9, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, not my own righteousness, not my own right standing, not my own belonging with God, but a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. In other words, in order to be made acceptable to God and in order for you and I to be able to perform the spiritual disciplines of what it means to grow in our relationship with God and grow as a follower of Jesus, y'all, we need someone else's righteousness. Ours ain't gonna work. It ain't good enough. And the beauty of the gospel storyline is that when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we get clothed with his righteousness and his belonging and his belovedness and his perfect performance. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to fasting or when it comes to prayer or when it comes to giving, what we have to understand is the only way that we're able to do that from a proper position is if we recognize that we've been clothed with a foreign righteousness that, righteousness that is not our own, that we have received by faith. Uh, so you guys have covered giving to the poor, you have covered uh, giving alms, and this morning we're going to look at, at fasting, fasting. And I know uh, some of y'all are like, isn't that this the thing that you sort of use to jumpstart your metabolism? And uh, isn't that the thing that's the new health, uh, the health thing that everybody's into, intermittent fasting? Y'all, I ain't talking about intermittent fasting trying to start your metabolism. Uh, look with me at verse 16 of chapter 6. It says this, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. So the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible defines fasting this way. Uh, for those of us who may be a little unfamiliar, and the words will come up on the screen. It defines it as setting aside activities as well as reducing the intake of food and replacing these activities with the exercise of prayer and preoccupation with spiritual concerns. Let me give it to you one more time. 
setting aside activities as well as reducing the intake of food and replacing these activities with the exercise of prayer and preoccupation with spiritual concerns. So in Jesus's particular day and age, what people would do is they would show off the fact that they're practicing these spiritual disciplines. They would show off the fact that they were fasting. So instead of a sincere act of self-renunciation and submission to God, fasting became externalized as an empty ritual in which uh, a pretense of piety, like I'm showing off my religiosity, was presented as public as a public image. So one of the things this text presents to us is is an assumption. Uh, it assumes something. It assumes that as followers of Christ, that we fast. Now I don't know about you, but there's some spiritual disciplines that I ain't all that good at, right? I, I like to eat. You, you can probably see uh, by the way that I'm built that I like to eat, right? That brother didn't lose all the cal my, my eye watch didn't catch all the calories that I needed in order to ensure that my calories didn't overtake the 2,000 that I needed in order to stay the weight that I am. I keep going up and up, right? And, and for me, for some of us, uh, in the room, we're extroverts, right? And so we love, like that moment when we went to greet people, y'all were like, yes, this is dope. I'm about to go say what's up to somebody and we're gonna kick it, I'm gonna get to know somebody and I just love working the room. And the introverts were like, shoot, I can't wait till this is over. Please, God, help us all, right? And so there are certain, uh, there are certain spiritual disciplines when it comes to uh, developing our faith in Jesus Christ that some of us are really good at and some of us are, are really weak at, right? So some of my introverts, when it comes to solitude, you're like, bet, right? Get alone with Jesus, like just me and Jesus, cool. No people there, yes. Praise the Lord, right? And even maybe fasting is something that you don't consider. You can kind of do it on your own, and, and, and it's something that, that you don't have to do in conjunction with other people. And matter of fact, you read Matthew 6 already, so you already know you ain't supposed to tell nobody that you're fasting. So that's just a thing that you get to do in, in isolation. Uh, and, and yet for, for those of us uh, who ain't that spiritual, fasting is hard. Anybody not too holy to admit that fasting is hard? Fasting, fasting is difficult. And oftentimes, yeah, we find ourselves looking, we two weeks in like, man, this was a good diet, but sure, I, I showed, I'm just gloomy and dark and mad and I'm no fun to be around and, and don't nobody like me no more, right? And sure, I lost seven pounds, Jay, but I don't feel no closer to God, <laughs> Right? And, and, and in essence, I think that what has happened, what we oftentimes experience is that we've misappropriated what fasting was intended to do. Or in other words, if you look at fasting as something that's going to make me more spiritual, or if you look at fasting as something that, man, God's really going to answer my prayers now because I have been so spiritual that I'm fasting uh, and I am, I am such a good Christian, I'm fasting and I'm better than the other non-spiritual Christians because I fast and I pray and I give alms uh, and I do all of the other things that I'm supposed to do. Uh, if you look at yourself in that way, then you'll never get uh, out of fasting what it was intended to do for you. You'll never get out of fasting uh, what God intended for your own spiritual growth. So look with me uh, back at verse 16. 
Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Do not look gloomy by the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Now, here's something that I think that we need to consider. A lot of us at our jobs, right, we have uh, performance reviews. And so we go to our, our job and we know next quarter I'm gonna get a performance review. And you're gonna sit down uh, with uh, your boss and they're gonna say, this is how well you're doing at your job, right? Uh, or you got into a particular school. Some of us in the Northwestern U U University of Chicago folks, you got into that particular school because you did better than somebody else. You, you performed better than somebody else. You got better test scores uh, than somebody else. And so if you sit down for your performance review, if you've done a good job, then maybe you'll get a promotion or maybe you'll get a raise. If you sit down for your performance review and you did a bad job, you probably ain't gonna get no raise. As a matter of fact, you're probably gonna get a demotion or you may even get fired based on your performance review. And oftentimes that's the way that we interact in relationships with others. And maybe that's been the way that you interacted with your parents. If you did really good at school, your, your parents were like, man, you are the bomb.com. This is my beloved son upon whom my favor rests. And, and, and then when you're not doing well, your parents act like they don't even know who you are, right? And because that is so prevalent in our human experience, that's the way we approach God. We approach God as though if I do all the right things, then he's going to be happy with me. And all of his pleasure and uh, him being proud of me and happy with me is predicated upon how well I'm doing at Christianity, right? And so, in essence, when Jesus turns around and says, don't, don't look gloomy and, uh, and, and act like the hypocrites do, he, he's saying, if there's a part of you that finds your righteousness, that finds your belonging with God, based on your performance of your fasting, then when other people are like, man, you're really, like, you're really a spiritual person. Like, you must be really, really spiritual. He's like, man, that's all the claps you get. You don't get no claps from God, right? And so oftentimes we, we look at the word hypocrites in Western, uh, Western American society and we think to ourselves, man, that's, that's the thing that I don't wanna be, right? Uh, and we, we like uh, genuine and we like authentic, right? And, and authentic and genuine, I think, are good things. Uh, but in Jesus's particular day and age, what it meant to be a hypocrite was a kind of uh, a word out of the theater. So it was like, uh, don't, don't be an actor. In other words, uh, in that day and age, they would have people that would play multiple roles in a play and you ask the question, how would they be able to play multiple roles in a singular play, is that they would put on different masks. And so they would rush to the back, put on a different mask and come out. And essentially Jesus is saying, don't be one way with other people and be a different way with God. And so some of us may be looking, are you read Matthew chapter six and you know that Jesus says, don't let other people know that you're fasting when, when you're fasting. Uh, and, and so you don't let other people know that you're fasting when you're fasting. Uh, and yet and still, 
you, you may say, Steve, I already get that. Like, I already know, I, you know, I already washed my face and I already got myself together when I, when I started fasting and I prepared myself. And whenever somebody asked me what was going on, why was I gloomy or why was, uh, why was I sad or why, hey, hey, won't you come grab lunch with us? I played it off. I figured out how to play it off in order to obey Jesus's words in Matthew chapter six. I told him, oh, you know what? I just got some more work to do, which that's problematic because you just lied to him about what, what, whether or not you were, eat, why you weren't eating or not, but ain't no shame in the game, you know? Okay, do you. That, I didn't really mean that. Anyways, so we do stuff like that to avoid it, and yet if we're honest with ourselves, when it comes to anything that we want to gain praise from other people for, we're finding our righteousness in that thing. We're finding our righteousness in the performance and not in the fact that by grace we've received Jesus' righteousness on our behalf. That means that if you rolled up to church this morning in a 1994 Toyota Camry and you look at the person that's rolling in the 2019, I don't know, Ford Explorer, and you like, man, I'm, you know, I need other people to see me that I'm, I'm driving this 1994 Toyota Camry. Like, I'm spiritual. Like, this is, like, it's really spiritual when you drive a 1994 Toyota Camry. Like, you're really on the varsity team. Okay? I'm not wasting the Lord's money on other things. I'm spiritual. Or somebody, you came in and you said, you know what? I live in Chicago. I don't even drive a car. I'm too spiritual to drive. I ride my bicycle around. Wherever I go, I ride my bicycle. Rain, sleet, or snow. And you look at people who drive and you say to yourself, man, there's something more spiritual about what I'm doing than what they're doing. Or to my single brothers and sisters in the room, we're going to go deep here real quick because this is the, the purity narrative in the evangelical space is an interesting one. I've still got my virginity card. And you look at yourself as more acceptable to God because you have your virginity card or you love to say, no, I'm, I'm a virgin. And you look down at other people who are not. That's what you find your righteousness in. It ain't in Jesus. It's in your performance of Christianity. And God says, you don't get no claps from, from me for that. They got quiet, I got quiet. I'm just saying, that ain't Christianity. That's called religion. I just, I just stopped by your neighborhood real quick. That's called religion. Whatever it may be, what, whatever, whatever the thing is that you find your righteousness in or that you feel like other people are gonna think of me as more spiritual, essentially Jesus is saying, you get no claps from God for that. The reward you, like when other people are like, dang, like, man, you really did that for God? Like, that's awesome. And if your motivation, if the motivation of your heart comes from that place, that I, I'm doing it so that other people can think that I'm really spiritual, the claps you got from them, that's all you get. You get no claps from me. That, that's, what, that's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's saying. Look back with me at verse 16. He says, 
you have received your reward. And then he goes on to say in verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Make, make sure you look normal, like nothing about you is different, so people uh, don't look at you and think something is off. Why? Verse 18, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this is incredibly significant as it pertains to our spiritual journey and our spiritual growth uh, in Jesus Christ. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ as the way to be made right with God, we recognize that we're broken. And I, I love Rankin, Rankin Wilburn's definition of sin. He says, sin is building our lives on things other than God. Building, excuse me, that's Tim Keller. Tim Keller says, sin is building our lives on things other than God. Uh, Rankin Wilborn says that sin is uh, loving the wrong things or loving the right things the wrong way. Now, now let, me, let me stop by and sit down next to you real quick. How many of us uh, have built our lives on things other than God? I'll raise my hand real high. That's me. I, I've, I've built my life on being a baseball player at one point in time, I, and I was crushed when it all fell apart. Some of us build our lives on our careers and what, what, how we're performing at work and the idea of getting to that one place where we find that perfect spouse and that perfect, have the perfect kids and the perfect dog and the perfect white picket fence. All of those dreams that you have for yourself and your, your prayers even to God are, God, would you please give me this? Because when I get this, then, then I'll be good. That's literally the definition of sin. You've built your life on something other than God and you're so twisted about it that you even pray to God for things that usurp who he's meant to be in your life. Now, I'll just tell you as the preacher, I've done that myself. So y'all don't look too holy out there. I think that is the natural inclination of all of our hearts, is to love the right things the wrong way or to love the wrong things the wrong way. Because you and I were created in the image of God where we were created to experience deep intimacy with the God of the universe. Now, you don't believe me as, as far as like this whole father-son thing. Uh, I know that we sort of pay lip service to doing stuff for your father who is in heaven. Or uh, we say, as Tony preached, the our father, and some of us, I grew up Catholic, some of us may be saying to ourselves, man, that's a really nice sentiment that God uh, is, you know, we sing, he's a good, good father. Uh, that's who you are, right? That's who you are. We sing that song and we say he's a good father and we say, man, our father who art in heaven and we like the idea of God being father and yet what we have to understand theologically is that Jesus is saying something that's incredibly significant here. He's saying that literally in Christ, you become the children of God. In Christ, we receive his righteousness clothed with his belonging so that when God sees us, he sees his son. Now, 
peep this. Let me show you what the scripture says. Romans 8, 16 and 17. And the words will come up on the screen. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Galatians 4 and 6, the apostle Paul says this. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So what Jesus is saying theologically, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, recognizing that we've built our lives on things other than God and recognizing that Jesus was able to live the perfect life that we could not live, died sacrificially in our place and for our sins and rose in victory over Satan, sin and death. And we place our faith in him as the only way to be made right with God. We receive his righteousness and his belonging and his belovedness so much so that what God the Father says over his son at Jesus' baptism, he says over you and me in Christ. You are my beloved child upon whom my favor rests. You are my beloved child upon whom my favor rests. You are my beloved child upon whom my favor rests. Y'all, I think that is the deepest longing of the human heart, even if we don't know it, is to hear God say, you're beloved. You're beloved. You're beloved. As, as Kaylee's saying, you know my name. Not only do you know my name, but I call out to you, Abba, Father, because of the Spirit of God that resides on the inside of me based on nothing I ever performed based on no achievement that I ever achieved, just based on grace, based on the gracious provision of God and the person and work of Jesus Christ. You become not just a child, but you become a co-heir with Christ. You receive the inheritance that Jesus Christ performed for based on nothing you ever did. And every time you mess up, every time you fall in sin, you get to remind yourself, wait a second, wait a second. I'm not standing in my righteousness. I'm not standing in my belonging. I'm not standing in my performance. I'm not standing in my achievement. I'm standing in the achievement, the performance, the belovedness and the belonging of Jesus Christ. And that's good news. Therefore, I can get up tomorrow knowing that God doesn't look down uh, at me now because I wasn't the best Christian that I could have been yesterday. And you hear the voice of shame. I think uh, oftentimes we hear the voice of shame in the back of our minds and we hear it as like a pseudo Holy Spirit thinking that that's the voice of God and really it's the voice of Satan. You know what the Holy Spirit's job is in your life when you place your faith in Jesus Christ? Jesus summarizes it in Matthew 16. He says, the comforter or the advocate is coming. I'm sending him to you and he's going to bear witness to me. What is the Holy Spirit's job? To bear witness to the person and work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Based on what? Based on nothing I ever did. Based on no performance, based on no achievement. He's continually, perpetually bearing witness to the person and work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. 
that you're standing in his righteousness and his belonging and his belovedness. That means that when you sin, when you mess up and you say, man, I just wasn't a great Christian today. I really need to uh, do my 6 a.m. quiet time in order to get back into God's good graces and maybe I'll fast today and then God will accept uh, my offering of fasting in order to ensure that he'll answer my prayers. That don't exist, that's religion. That ain't the gospel of grace. And some of y'all are like, man, Steve, but what about, what about all the commands of, uh, uh, of Matthew 5 and 6? They all still true. The motivation is different, though. The motivation is different because the Father has your heart. Because the Spirit of God in you cries out, Abba, Father. And I know some of us had a dad who was relationally, emotionally absent from our lives. And so this concept of God as Father is kind of a foreign construct for us. But it's, it's the idea, of, just as a song, that you walk with me, you talk with me. It is a relationally, emotionally, and spiritually available father. The God of the universe is spiritually, relationally, and emotionally available to you at all times. Now, tomorrow you're going to get up. And you're going to drive down the road and you're gonna to get to work and you're gonna have a great conversation with your coworker and they're gonna be like, man, uh, man, I, I really wanna know about this Jesus stuff. Like you went to church on Sunday, like what, what did they talk about, right? And you're gonna have a fantastic conversation with your coworker and you're gonna be like, man, I think that they're going to come to church next week and uh, it's, it's gonna be awesome, they're gonna to come to church. And, uh, and then you get back in your car and, uh, and you're driving down the road and you, uh, somebody cuts you off, right? And you get frustrated and you drive past them and you flip them the bird and, uh, and then you, you, you realize at the next stoplight that the person that you just flipped the bird to was your coworker that you talked to at work. And you're gonna be like, I'm a terrible person. I'm a horrible person. I'm doing terrible at Christianity. I've gotta do something in order to get back into God's good graces. Like I, I've gotta perform in order to get back into God's good graces and, and then he'll really accept me, then he'll really answer, he'll really answer my, my prayers. Y'all, grace is such a foreign concept to us. It is foreign to our human experience. The beauty of the gospel is that the only way to actually pursue holiness is to recognize that you're standing in someone else's righteousness and that be the motivation for your pursuit of holiness. Otherwise, when it comes to fasting, Oftentimes we look at it as like, man, I need my breakthrough and God is gonna be pleased with, with me if I fast, right? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna really like, God's really gonna be pleased with me if I fast. That ain't the gospel, y'all. That's religion. You know what fasting is intended to do? It's intended to give you the opportunity to have intimacy with your father. So that when all the anxieties and the frets and the failures of life begin to bombard your soul and as Satan begins to, you begin to hear the voice of shame over you and your lack of performance and your lack of ability, you get to hear the voice of the Spirit of God say over you in your fasting, you're my beloved child upon whom my favor rests. You're my beloved child upon whom my favor rests. You're my beloved child upon whom my favor rests. 
That's what your soul needed. Your soul needed to hear that you received that by grace. That's the only way for you to not be a Martha trying to do all the aspects of Christianity and just sit at Jesus' feet. Why was it more significant for Jesus to sit, for, Martha, for Mary to sit at Jesus' feet? She understood, the work, she understood the work of grace. Do you know why Jesus says, abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit 10 times in John 15? And that's the only place for you to actually produce spiritual fruit. Everything else is just stuff you're doing that you get no claps from God for. He says abide 10 times. Abide, abide. Stop, rest, reflect, press pause on all the voices of the world. You can do that through fasting. And as you press pause on all the voices and anxieties of your life, you realize that all I really needed was to hear the Father's voice say over me, beloved. Fasting is an opportunity for intimacy. Fasting is an opportunity for you to experience God. And so often, because we create this caricature of God, we find ourselves utilizing things like fasting or utilizing things like prayer as a way to get something from God. And God says, you get no claps from me. And so somebody you're here today and you need a breakthrough. If you're honest with yourself, you thought about fasting is like, man, maybe I need to fast because I need, I need God to do something for me. I, I need him to, I need him to, to act on my behalf. And I, and I think that's an awesome thing. I think that's a good, I think that's something that can come out of intimacy with God. But the reality is the reason why you can have joy in the midst of trial and test is because it's well with your soul. It's because you know that you're a beloved child of God and it happened by grace through faith. And that is the most important thing that you need to rehearse to your soul. As the world tries to tell you a different story and a different narrative and a different part of who you are and what you need to become and, uh, and your shortcomings and your downfalls, you need to press pause and just rehearse what grace is to your soul. That's what communion is. Communion is an opportunity for you to rehearse that you've been united to Christ based on no performance that you've achieved. That's what baptism is. Baptism is an opportunity for us to rehearse the fact that we've received grace and we're united to Christ. And every act of holiness, every act of spiritual growth, every act of spiritual discipline has to be motivated from that place in order for you and I to pursue actual holiness. That's the beauty of the gospel storyline. Uh, it is the story of a father who longs to have your heart. And so to apply some of this, maybe tomorrow, I'm, I'm not much of a faster. Somebody told me, they said, Steve, why don't you fast before you preach this message? I said, doc, I got to get my soul right before I do that. <laughs> but maybe this week we start slow and we say, you know what? I'm just going to take off breakfast and I'm going to rehearse grace over my soul. That's the food that I need. That's the nourishment that my soul needs. 
And instead of trying to kick in the, the month-long Daniel fast or what, you know, the month-long thing where I'm doing this and I'm doing this, maybe it's just, man, I, I'm taking lunch off. And, and, and I want to reorient myself to realize that God is not standing there like Joseph Jackson, belt in hand, like do the right steps. But no, I'm just going to rehearse to myself that he's a good father who's relationally, emotionally, and spiritually available to me based on nothing I ever performed. That's the nourishment that I need for my soul. And maybe as you go on, you get better and better at it. That's the thing that you do. We're just rehearsing grace so that we recognize that God longs, like we, we recall what we're saved from, but oftentimes we forget what we're saved for. We're saved for intimacy with God. And whether it's giving, whether it's prayer, whether it's fasting, that's what God wants you to experience. He wants to bring you into the beloved community so that you can experience that for your soul. Let's pray together. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul. And I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you. Sure.